This program is part of the Cosmic Potato Podcast Network. For more shows like this, visit our website at CosmicPotato.com. Hi, my name is Sean Ray, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my flagship show, Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk Podcast. Cosmic Potato is a show about film, TV, comics, games, and geek culture. Every episode, I get together with a few friends and we talk about everything from Oscar nominees to Saturday morning cartoons. We have regular co hosts located all across the country, including John, a graphic designer, Hi Chan, a writer, Rick, a teacher and podcaster, Christina, a clothing designer and avid cosplayer, and Anthony, a filmmaker. The show is available at CosmicPotato.com as well as iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and many, many other podcast sources. So tune in and hopefully I'll talk to you as you're listening to the next episode of Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk Podcast. Fifty years ago, the world was introduced to the phenomenon that was Star Trek. Popular culture was changed forever, and eventually it became six television series and 13 motion pictures. People from all walks of life have been affected by it. Their lives have been affected by the lessons and the philosophies that they took away from it. This is the story of those fans. Interviews with individuals who love Star Trek and believe that their lives are better because of it. This is their prime direction. Hey everybody and welcome to the Prime Direction. My name is Sean Ray and we're going to get started talking a little bit about Star Trek today, as always. And uh, my guest today is Kennedy Gordon. Kennedy, how are you? I'm doing great, Sean. I, I love your accent. I know you think you don't have one, but I'll tell you, it's great. I don't have one. What are you talking about? <laughs> My Alabama accent. <laughs> but um, why don't you, we, we start by, um, I know you from Starbase 66, but I know that show isn't around anymore. Uh, tell the, me and the audience a little bit about who you are and what you do. Uh, I am a Canadian journalist. I'm the editor of a daily newspaper. And about a decade ago, I got into my head to talk about Star Trek on the internet with a bunch of like-minded uh, people of my general generation. And that led to the Starbase 66 podcast, which we launched in 2009, I think. And it soon joined the Simply Syndicated network of shows, and that led to a whole bunch of other opportunities for all of us yeah. involved. Uh, I stepped away from the show in the early part of this decade for a variety of reasons. I popped in when I could, but I just couldn't commit the time anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I never stopped listening or paying attention or contributing in different ways. But for that first few years, uh, Rick, Karen, and I had a really great time talking, not just about Star Trek, which that was the intent. There was a lot of buzz back then because the 2009 movie was about to come. Right, yeah. And Rick and Karen and I are all, we were united originally because we were the original series fans among a large group of TNG, Deep Space Nine people. 
uh, we're purists, right? Right. And they, you know, we, we like everything. We had this sort of this unifying passion for the original series and for all sorts of old science fiction and fantasy. And that's what it led to. So the show obviously turned into all sorts of different things. And it, it was always Rick's baby. It was his idea in the first place. He recruited us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he brought in, obviously, some great people afterwards as well, too. But the whole idea was to explore classic sci-fi from our youths. Well, mine and Rick's. Karen's a lot younger than we are. Yeah. And we, I think we did a really good job of it. I think we, it opened uh, a lot of people's eyes to how good the original series actually was. Yeah. Uh, which is a hard sell for anybody under 40, <laughs> even to this day. Right? And I took my youngest son to see Beyond, and he uh, came out and said, should I watch some old Star Trek? And I thought about that. How is a 13-year-old going to relate to that show? And I, I told him to watch the animated series first, actually, just to get a taste of who these guys were. Right. And so far, he seems to think it's all right. It's it's so old and so bad, it's so good. Right? <laughs> Well, tell me a little bit before we go into your your fandom. Tell me a little bit about what your life was like uh, as you were growing up. You, you have you lived in Canada your your entire life? Uh, born and raised. Um, my family is American. In fact, my grandmother hails from Alabama or hailed from Alabama. Oh, really? Um, I have not been there since the eighties. Hasn't changed much. <laughs> yeah, it was just a brief foray during another trip. I stuck my head into uh, southern Alabama. But, uh, yeah, born and raised in Canada, so that was a, a tricky thing. We had um, one channel most of the time, sometimes two. And for some reason, as a kid, they were always showing the original series. Constantly. You could see it twice a day back then. So it was really, really serious bread and butter for me as a little kid. Up there with, I guess, Planet of the Apes would have been the other big science fiction. This is, you know, late 60s, early 70s. Right. So Planet of the Apes, later The Six Million Dollar Man, that kind of stuff I was really into. And comic books, obviously, that was always big for me. But Star Trek was always my favorite, and uh, specifically the the big three, the guys. I had the Mego figures, I had the toys. And it was probably, I was seven or eight before I realized it wasn't a new television show. Oh, okay. It was, you know, some, you know you, when you're a kid, you don't get that yeah. reruns working or something. So I clued in that this was something that had probably been off the air for a long time and, in fact, was older than I was. And then the buzz of Star Wars happened and people started talking about Star Trek perhaps coming back. And, you know, I was an adult before I heard about Planet of the Titans, before I heard about Phase 2. I didn't know these things had actually been in the works. But you would hear rumors back then. Yeah. And the buzz for the the original movie in 1979, I would have been in my early teens then. And it was huge. It was... Star Wars level buzz. And I was suddenly the guy who knew everything about Star Trek. <laughs> the only guy, right? So that became a big thing for me, was to go see that movie. And as I've noted on the Starbase many times, I fell asleep partway through it. It's the only movie I've ever fallen asleep Yeah, in. I was going to ask you how the, how, yeah. the, how the buzz lived up in your mind as a teenager going to see it. Oh, the first five minutes is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> when the guy dies in the transporter pad, that's... You never saw that. It was great. And the, I, I don't mind the costumes. I don't mind the, the, the sets. It was, it's been written off since then as bland and, and colorless, but I kind of like that. Uh, but in the end, you know, it, when, when you're a kid coming off Star Wars to go see that and being having it sold to you as even better than, it turned into something else entirely different. Yeah. What was it about the original series that connected with you? Because you, you said you were a fan of 
other things. What was it about Star Trek that just stood out for you? Always the mix of, you know, action, uh, the, the humor. Uh, it, it's my kind of humor. A lot of people wouldn't call the original series funny, but when you know the characters, the jokes are great. Yeah. Uh, but also just the, the idea of exploration. It seemed to me a more realistic take on science fiction than a lot of what we had back then. Um, I should point out that there's a Forbidden Planet poster on the wall behind my back here framed <laughs> because that's the kind of science fiction I like is real Earth exploration and getting out there, real human beings, not science fantasies. Right. So let's put it that way. It's kind of nerdy, but I always, I've also liked always programs, books, series about uh, extremely ridiculously macho characters. <laughs> uh, I, I'm a huge fan of the Jack Reacher novels, for instance, which are completely ridiculous. I, I like superhero characters. Right. And something about Shatner, and, and to a lesser degree Spock as well, because he was supposed to be different because he was an alien. Shatner was so over the top. And his, the way he acts, the things he did, he was the ultimate TV superhero for me as a kid. So I couldn't get enough of Star Trek. And, you know, we're just talking about the original series here. We had, you know, the animated series came out afterwards. I, didn't, I never saw that. I don't think it was ever available on television where I lived. I think I finally saw it when I bought the DVDs sometime in the 90s. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, it, again, so I don't have that childhood emotional connection to it. It's, it's an, a novelty to me as far as... Uh, as Star Trek goes. And then, you know, there was no Star Trek for a long time, aside from the movies, all of which I saw religiously in the theaters. Uh, I went to see Star Trek V by myself, which is probably the low point in my, uh, my dating life. Um, and then uh, Next Generation came up. And it didn't come to the cable system where I lived until 1990 or 91. So I was aware of it, but didn't know much about it. All I had ever seen was a ridiculous photograph that the Toronto Star ran of Jordy LaForge with Brill Cream in his hair and Jerry Curls and <laughs> that thing on his face, which was so obviously a dollar store comb. You know, it just, I said, I don't want to see this. The captain's an old bald guy. There's a Klingon on the bridge. Not for me. So it wasn't until years later, probably 90 or 91, when it started running every day at six o'clock on the local cable channel that I, uh, I discovered that show. Yeah, I was one, I was going to ask you how that how that was um, being a big Star Trek fan growing up, and then knowing that there's a new Star Trek series out there, but you can't see it. And it, you know, if it was today, there would be ways to find mm -hmm. it. You know, but back then, if they don't show it where you are, then you just don't see it. That's exactly right. And you know, I, I talk to my kids about this a lot because they can't even fathom that. Yeah. And honestly, I think that with everything else going on in my life at the time, because of course I had other, th I was launching my career and I was making music and doing all sorts of things. It wasn't as huge a priority to be able to see this show. I knew eventually I would. Um, back then you could, if you, you'd hear about a guy who might know a guy who had some tapes of it and you'd pick stuff up like that. I saw a lot of stuff that way back in the day. Yeah. Mostly horror movies, but, uh, uh, when it finally did come out, um, I remember being excited knowing it was coming, like knowing that whatever our local TV channel said starting in September, you'll be able to see Star Trek, the next generation, every day at 6 o'clock. And I made a, a point of, for that first couple of months, never missing it, just to get a sense of it. And I, they didn't start it at the beginning. They picked it up somewhere in season three. Oh, really? I, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, if they started so I, the first episode was, I can't remember what the first one was that I saw, but it very quickly got to the best of both worlds. 
And so I thought, hey, this is great. And then when they got to the end of where they were in the actual run of the series, which I guess would have been towards the end of season four at that point, mm-hmm. they went back to the beginning. And all of a sudden, the uniforms of those ridiculous spandex suits and everything. Men, men, men wearing skirts sometimes. Skirts, <laughs> yeah. you know, beardless Riker, which I have never agreed with. Um, <laughs> and I realized why the show had been such a hard sell and why people... And again, there was no internet. There were no. I wasn't a member of any fan clubs. You'd just read the odd article here and there, and people would say, well, the new Star Trek show is not as good as the old one. And people said that about the original as well, too. So uh, eventually it grew on me, and... I, I enjoyed it. I watched it right to the end. Stood in line for all the movies. Uh, the other shows, I don't have much of a passion for. Anyway. I didn't mind Enterprise, but uh, I'm on the record as being the the one nerd who does not like Deep Space Nine at all. Really? Uh, Voyager has a few good moments. There's five or six good episodes of Deep Space Nine that I like to watch, but for the most part, the, the whole concept never worked for me, and I never enjoyed it. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of overacting in Shakespearean standing around in dark rooms <laughs> proclaiming their needs for the Cardassians versus the Bajorans. None of it ever appeared. Yeah, there was a lot of that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was that's basically it. Uh, and then because when you're a kid and you are known as the one guy in a large extended family who likes Star Trek, everyone gives you Star Trek stuff. Yeah. And then you start doing a Star Trek podcast and the same thing keeps happening. And then you get mysterious packages in the mail from Cogswell with stuff in it that has to do with Star Trek, you think or you hope. (laughs) Um, For the most part, I I ended up with a pretty massive collection of of original series stuff, which is mostly gone now, unfortunately. But uh, that was the sort of the, the thing that you knew that every Christmas the cousin-in-law would give you a Star Trek book or something like that. Well, tell me about some of the toys that you had as a kid. Because one thing that I've noticed uh, just doing research for the show is that Star Trek was bad about putting out toys that were just like stuff that was already out there and just sticking mm-hmm. a Star Trek sticker on it. <laughs> you know, there, there was a lot of that. Yeah. And th- that was common for all the big brands back in the day. I mean, you could buy a Planet of the Apes parachute guy. Right. You know, when did the apes ever parachute? They didn't, but there was an existing period. That's the way it used to work for the rack toys back then. But for Star Trek, the big ones for me were the Mego figures, which uh, I'm, I'm a, am and always will be a collector of these these figures. And they were phenomenal, not just in their likeness, but in their posability and the look of them. They're, they had some great accessories. And for anybody who is too young to remember Migos, they basically got almost every good license in the 70s. So you could have Planet of the Apes and Star Trek and Chips and Dukes of Hazard and the Justice League all playing together, which happened constantly in my neighborhood. Uh, they failed because they turned down the Star Wars license. Yeah. Said, There's no market for that. And look what happened. Um, <laughs> so a lot of those, I had all those figures for years. I still have quite a few of them kicking around here. Uh, the big one for me, and, and Admiral Marius and I have talked about this on, on his show, was a communication system that was a set of walkie-talkies and a big desktop module. Mm-hmm. There was a working CB radio. And I lived on the highway, so I heard some really great stuff. As well. <laughs> uh, but it lit up and flashed. It didn't look like anything on the actual show. Right. But it was literally the coolest toy you could have in the mid-70s. It was a working CB. So my friends and I could go off in the woods, and one of us would be back at the base station. With this thing. So stuff like that. And, you know, there wasn't a lot else. Um 
toy-wise. I'm, I'm trying to really think back to, like you said, there's a lot of knockoff stuff. You could get like a Hot Wheels car with Spock's face on it. <laughs> but I've never liked that kind of thing. Somewhere around here, I have an action figure that is the Flash riding a motorcycle. So <laughs> and why would he need that, a motorcycle? Explain yeah. that toy to me. It makes no sense. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of that kind of crap back in the 70s. Uh, but basically, it was it was the the, the men, the figures, um, and the and you know we still called them dolls back in the seventies. Action figures was a much later word. We had no shame saying, "Want well, some Star Wars dolls?" Yeah, but um, that would would have been it. And the one thing that I never got into was building models. I know that I had a couple of those that never got assembled because I'm not that kind of person. I had the Klingon ship, and I think I had an Enterprise model in 1972, which sat in a box until I don't know what happened to it. I wish I still had that. That's one thing that Star Trek has always uh, put out is models of ships and, and runabouts and things like that. Shuttlecraft. But, and I used to get them for Christmas because because you're that guy. everybody knew I was a Star Trek fan. So they give me models and I would start working on it and lose interest in it. (laughs) You know, the one or two times I've tried to do models in my life, I end up glued to the desk. So it's never, it's nobody's business. Um, the other thing too, I'm trying to think of what else we would have had back in those days. T-shirts, even stuff like collectibles that you see now for things weren't really commonplace back in that, that period for, for, you know, small town, Northern Ontario, obviously it's, uh, it was probably different in the cities and we'd see stuff in the back of comic books and famous monsters and stuff like that that you could order, but nobody ever ordered anything when I was a kid. So that would have been it. It was a, sadly, my toy collection got built when I was an adult. So were you into uh, like Star Trek comics and novels and things like that? Uh, to a degree. I never read the much in the way of the books. It's one of those disconnect things where I would read the back and say, well, this sounds pretty interesting, but I always, I lost interest pretty fast. Uh, I bought the comics right through until the middle of the DC run. So probably the mid eighties mm-hmm. and the DC comics were really excellent. They were fantastic. They had a couple of hiccups along the way because they, they literally started a storyline that ended or began at the end of the search for Spock. And they carried on with the, the crew taking over the Excels here and going off on new adventures. And then, of course, Star Trek Four comes out. Right. So, oops. So they retroed and got back. It's a fun little piece of, of writing to, to get them back to that position where they could jump into that story. But the, those comics were quite solid until, if I'm not mistaken, Paramount said, you have to stop inventing all these new characters and new scenarios and stick with the established licensed characters that you have. So a lot of what made it unique disappeared and it became very much like the old gold key comics from the 60s, which I had a lot of as well, too. Yeah. Um, the comics and the novels like to do a lot of crossover stuff, too. There was a there was a Star Trek comic where they crossed over with Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. And, and I have the Star Trek X-Men around here somewhere. Yeah, I was about to say they did, a, they did a Star Trek X-Men. They actually did Star Trek uh, X-Men crossovers two or three times because there was a novel mm-hmm. of X-Men meets star trek the next generation and there's some legion of superheroes crossovers out there there's it's it's a perfect um perfect intellectual property which a phrase i hate to use but a perfect concept to do that with because they've established in universe that they can go outside their universe so you can take anybody and throw it into the star trek universe and vice versa and it's always fun just because we know the characters so well you know it's not as though it was a 
uh, something just grabbed at random, you kind of have to wonder what would happen if Spock met Wolverine, right? It's yeah. worth exploring. So you said that you um, you were a teenager when the motion picture came out. Yeah, I would have been about 13. Yeah, so as you're moving through your teenage years and, and they're coming out with, uh, with new movies every couple of years... Mm-hmm into your adulthood how did you feel about i know you said you fell asleep during the motion picture <laughs> yeah. so how did you feel about uh star trek 2 did you think it was i mean I obviously it. you thought yeah, it was that, better but that was it and being the only person in my in any of anyone I knew who knew who Khan was uh that was a really great film in, at the time and think about when that came out because we had just had you know indiana jones blade mm-hmm. runner uh it was such a great time to be a sci-fi horror nerd the thing had come out it's massive stuff and that was a i mean it's still a perfect film you you, you can't beat wrath of khan on with almost anything it's just a perfect two-hour self-contained adventure right and that's something that i think they tried to do again with beyond well actually they tried to do with insurrection that's why that movie fails because (laughs) there are two kinds of star trek movies and at the time of most of the original films, when there was still at least one series on the air, sometimes two or three, the movies had to be events. They had to be something significant that either went beyond what we were seeing on TV or changed it. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the promise of Insurrection was that it was going to be this game changer for the Federation, which, of course, never came to pass. Right. So then we didn't have movies for a long time. And then 2009 came along and we got the new one. And I believe that thinking was still in place when Into Darkness went into preparation because they thought, we have, this has to be huge. It has to be gigantic. It has to be an epic. We have to do fan service. We have to please everybody and bring people into the, the theaters and sell popcorn. Mm-hmm. And that's why that movie is such a mess. And it's, you know, it's not a bad movie. It just If you called him John Harrison the whole time, it would have been perfect. Right. Um, but beyond, they went back to the thinking that they did for Wrath of Khan, which makes perfect sense. Let's just tell one fun story. We're not changing the world. The biggest change to the continuity is that maybe Spock and Uhura broke up. That's it. Yeah. Nothing else really matters. And it was just fun. It was, it was a great romp. So if you look back at the original movies, when they tried to do that, it didn't work. They had to stick with the big stuff. So you, after Wrath of Khan, you've got, of course, the Search for Spock and Voyage Home, which are a, a series. Uh, Final Frontier, we, we can not talk about that. <laughs> Um, there's so many props with that film. And that's an example, and I've, without name-dropping too much, I've talked to Shatner about this, and he makes no apologies for what he did. He thinks it's the epic of the epics. Um, Undiscovered Country is another great film, and for the same reason, they turned an event into a self-contained little story. Mm -hmm. So rather than making the whole thing this congratulatory send-off for the originals, they had them have one last grand adventure. And at the same time, you know, Kitter Records, it explains why Worf is on the Enterprise there. Yeah. Well, And then you get the next-gen movies, uh, you know, Generations is, I don't mind it. Um, First Contact, as we know, is fantastic. The other two, they didn't know what to do. They, 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 couldn't, they couldn't go as far as they wanted because they had to keep uh, Deep Space Nine and then Voyager on the air without changing the status quo. So it's much the same problem that Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. had at the end of Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got a show about S.H.I.E.L.D. and we just killed S.H.I.E.L.D. What do we do? And so they, I know the original concept for Insurrection was a much bigger schism in, in the Federation that would have been a game changer. Yeah. Didn't do it. So it's a shame. 
Well, I think Nemesis, when, when Nemesis came out, Deep Space Nine and Voyager had both ended by then. Voyager yeah. had just ended, like, yeah. just a couple of months before that. And then, so they had the opportunity there to shake things up and, and take the franchise forward, because by this point we'd had three shows set in the same time period with crossover characters, and it would have been an opportunity to do something radical. And I think Brian Fuller's original pitch to Paramount years ago for a show would have taken it either... No, he, he wanted to go for, further back, that's right. There was an animated show that was developed in 2005 or 2006, I believe, also called Final Frontier. Mm -hmm. And it was set in the you know, 400 years later. So that opportunity was there. But I think there's a reason both the TV and the movie divisions of Star Trek are, are still going back to the past. Because when they do go forward, it's got to be huge. How, how do you match the technological advances that we've already made? I mean, you watch Next Generation now and we have better stuff than they did. <laughs> True, yeah. And so how do you predict what it's going to be like in the 28th century, for instance? So I'm glad they're taking their time with it, and I'm glad the new series is a prequel for that reason. It's uh, stuff we still have to explore. Well, going back to the end of The Next Generation, um, when, when, when they said that they were canceling the show, of course we knew that the film was going to be coming in a couple months, you know, yeah. after that. How did you feel about the end of the next generation uh, even though even though you knew the film was coming did it just make you sad that there wasn't going to be a show every week no uh, i'm i'm not uh, i'm not a diehard super passionate fan of anything mm -hmm. so 7 years of a show is is 7 years. that's that's good especially when you go back and watch next gen now and you remember what it was like to wait for it every week and at the end you go yeah that was all right uh, when it was time to go, it was at its best, I think. Or maybe coming off its best. And at the time, don't forget, we thought there would be new Star Trek shows coming like every couple of years. It would be something new. There were all these ideas being knocked around. We, Deep Space Nine itself was such a, a breakthrough. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'm not a fan, but I'm glad it exists. And then, boom, we got Voyager. And who knows what's coming next? They could do anything they wanted. The world was theirs. And losing that momentum at the time, I think, was the biggest problem for the franchise. Because when they did finally expand again, it was Enterprise, which was a brilliant move, uh, executed extremely well, I thought. But people were expecting more of the same. Right. And that's that's why it didn't succeed the way it did. I have a coworker who has never, he's a huge X-Gen fan, has never seen Enterprise. And it just popped back up on Canadian Netflix. So he started watching it. So every day he comes into the office and he says, oh, I just watched it in a mirror darkly. Oh, my God, this show is so good. <laughs> I can't believe I never watched this. So it, it's still out there, and that's good news. But I think people weren't even close to the saturation point yet. They could have probably done two or three more shows set in the TNG like timeline. I mean, they could have thrown Riker on a ship. They could have done that stupid Captain Worf concept. There's yeah. plenty of options for them out there. But they didn't do it. They chose instead to take a, a, a left turn and do the prequel show, and that's what killed it. And and not even call it Star Trek. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> they just called it Enterprise at, at, at the beginning, and then. And again, I was completely okay with that. I, I'm a huge fan of anything in Star Trek lore before the original series. Uh, the only books that I've read and enjoyed are the ones that are set in that period. Um, if you read some of the Daedalus books, it's fascinating stuff. I, because I'm not crazy about a world where everything is easy and perfect. Um, 
if you go back back in the day when we started Starbase, there was only one other decent Star Trek podcast in the universe, and that was Make It So, one of the founding shows of the uh, Simply Syndicated Network. Right. And it was one of Richard Smith's constant points was that they've got transporters and replicators. They don't need to do anything. Like, literally, why do they have shuttlecraft? And it's really true. When you've got the technology they have on, on in the next generation, nothing should be a challenge. But when you going back to the early days of the Federation, even before Enterprise, where your ship didn't have shields, transporters were a, a work in progress. There's risk there. There's challenge. It's a far more interesting, and the storytelling potential is massive. I mean, we live in an age where we have seen our astronauts die mm-hmm. trying to get to space or get home from space. Right. That's a realistic thing that we live with. In a future where that's not a possibility, it takes the risk out of the story. Nowhere near as interesting. So I was quite happy when they announced it was going to be a prequel. I, I would hoped it would have been a little bit later because I wanted to see more of our familiar Star Trek world. Yeah. I think we're going to see that, obviously, with Discovery from the sounds of things. I'm looking forward to that. How did you feel about the TNG finale itself? Well, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's better than most of the movies. Um, it took us all by surprise. We had a, a viewing party for it um, with a guy who actually wore Spock ears to that. <laughs> um, and then we went to a bar after and talked it out. And it was it was as good as a movie. It really paid tribute to the the writing of the show that related to Picard. Because... You know, people forget that Picard lived a whole other life in the middle of one episode. And yeah. He came back from that a completely changed man. And Stewart is such a good actor that you see little hints of that. And this showed you what happened at the end of his life. That he had all these memories. And now all of a sudden, you know, and Q's been messing with him since the beginning. Mm-hmm. It was just a, a well thought out, well written piece. When the triple nacelle Enterprise shows up at the end, boom, nice big moment there. Yeah, it was it was it was fine. I still watched every couple of years. Was there anything that in in those four TNG movies was there anything that you wished that they would have done in those films that they that they never got around to doing? Well, I still love the what ifs, right? I I love the idea that if, what if Picard had died at the end of Best of Both Worlds Part One mm-hmm. would have been fantastic. Uh, there was a plan at one point to have Tom Riker replace William Riker. When do you remember that episode where? Oh, yeah. I mean, they did that on Deep Space Nine. They, they did. They, yeah. they were talking permanently, where Jonathan Frakes would they would kill off William Riker. Oh, Jonathan okay. Jonathan Frakes would keep playing Tom, now a junior lieutenant on the Enterprise. That would have been brilliant. They didn't do it. Uh, in the movies, if, if they had wanted to, I mean, Insurrection could have gone so much further. Like, imagine if Picard had resigned at the end of Insurrection. And then just leave it there. Mm-hmm. And the next movie, boom, there's something completely different. Instead, we get Nemesis. So basically, they, they could have gone further. They could have done more. They had the opportunity. They had the audience. And they failed to do so. So, I mean, I will never not watch a Star Trek movie if it's in front of me. But I'm usually looking at another screen while Insurrection and Nemesis are on. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. You lose interest pretty fast. And they're just too tame. You know, there's a often told story about Voyager and what it was supposed to be and what it became. And that's a good example of what I'm talking about. I mean, if Voyager had been what the original vision was, we would have had Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Instead, we had shiny, happy people in space who suddenly everyone gets along. And Year of Hell came close, didn't quite pull it off. 
And that's always been the problem with Star Trek. It's succeeding, let's not change anything. Because as we see, when they do change it, what happens? Nerd rage. Right. No fun. You know, the internet was around when uh, Enterprise launched, so I remember. I remember the nerd rage. <laughs> well, you said that you were you, you liked Enterprise. How did you feel about the finale for that show? Uh, I wasn't crazy about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, the episode before should have been the finale. Uh, I... I I get the feeling they were trying to set the stage for future fan service by saying, look, we're all still on the same side here, guys. Uh, Riker's cool. We like him. He's a lot bigger now, but you didn't notice that. <laughs> um, I believe there may have been a plan at the time to perhaps bring the Rikers back to TV. Uh, there was a lot of joking talk about a sitcom back then, but I think that may have been rooted in an actual plan for a Titan TV show. Uh, never happened, of course, but I think that's the reasoning for why suddenly he's back on TV in his unitard. I mean, after Enterprise went off the air, 2005, we didn't really have anything for four years. And then the new movie came out in 2009. Yeah. yeah. Were you a fan of the movie? Absolutely. Saw it nine times in the theater. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's it's um, it's an amazing movie regardless of whether it's Star Trek. And I think they did it exactly right because the, the genius of creating a split-off timeline means that you don't have to care. Yeah. That you can... It's, it, unfortunately, J.J. undid himself with Into Darkness by paying too much tribute to the original timeline in a way that didn't make any sense. But if you go back and, and watch the first one again, it, it still holds up. It's funny. It's fast. It's ridiculously dumb. It makes no sense at all that Kirk is suddenly the captain of the ship. Let yeah. alone at the end of the movie, he's the captain of the ship. Right. But who cares? It was a fun, fun, goofy adventure. And the actors are spot on, all of them. They have tons of charisma. They get along well, and you can really see it. Uh, the, the sentiment is solid. And there's just enough little stuff in there for the old guys like me to say, oh, you know what that is? Oh, you know what that is? Oh. Yeah. So I was quite happy with it. And, you know, less so with Into Darkness. I thought it had potential, but like I said, if they just not tried to have Khan in it and it was handled so badly, it would have been a fine film. Just take him right out. But in the end, uh, and we got Beyond. I'm happy with that. Yeah, Beyond was a lot more... It felt more like you were watching a Star Trek movie than mm-hmm. than Into Darkness was. Um, did you like the uh, the references to Enterprise that were kind of yes, sprinkled around in, in, in Beyond? I really did. I thought it's because, you know, there's the theory that the timeline split when Nero came back. But I've always held, and I'm on the record on this, that Riker just completely deviated the timeline in First Contact. When he got on board the Phoenix, everything after that is different. So the Enterprise show that we watched was not what happened in the original series history. This is all new stuff. And so adding it to this gives you yet another split where you're, you're allowed to play with it a little bit. So it doesn't make any sense that this ship is older than the Enterprise. The, the Franklin was apparently the, the Warp 4 ship and the Enterprise was the Warp 5 ship. Mm-hmm. We never saw those ships in the old series, so where, where was it? Well, now we know. Um, it just really helps you understand that by the time Kirk and his crew, whichever version you get, are digging out into deep space, there's already been a couple of hundred years of humans out there. And there's remnants of them. You know, let's, let's find them. It's fantastic. And come on, I'm, like, I'm a huge Beastie Boys fan. I cannot get enough <laughs> of that in Star Trek. People bitch about it, but I loved it the first time. I loved it this time. 
Yeah, I, I mean, it was in the trailer, so I don't know why people were surprised that it was in the film because I mean, it was in the trailer. So when when uh, when he got the stereo out and started hooking it up, I thought that they were going to play the song that they had been playing earlier for a second and then when beastie boy started up you know i went with the scene i thought it was great and uh and then i started hearing on on different podcasts and online why did they do that why did they do that why why were you surprised it was in the trailer <laughs> well i think we're, we're spoiled now because trailers almost never resemble the final movie and even simon Pegg said yeah don't uh, don't take that trailer too personally it's yeah it's a better movie than that um but i it worked. It really worked. It's perfectly believable that a ship from a hundred years from now would have something like that kicking around. Yeah. So, um, as a Star Trek fan, we're constantly exposed to little tidbits of philosophy and life lessons and things like that. So what did Star Trek do for you that you feel like, uh, made your life better? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, well, two things. Uh, I'm a journalist and I was raised by a journalist. I grew up in a newspaper household. And from my earliest upbringing, um, I was taught how to not be neutral, but to affect a, a, a neutrality, non-biased approach to things. So you may have an opinion, you never show it. Uh, there's a reason why I've never, I, I never talk about politics on Facebook or anything like that. I. Um, my newspaper has to be neutral in all things. And this is, the, I'm not a columnist, I'm not an opinion writer, I'm a straight up news reporter, journalist. So from an early age, Spock was the guy for me because it didn't take me long to figure out that he, he actually had emotions. He was just hiding them really well. Mm-hmm. So something's clanging around in here. So watching him deal with crises by sticking to the facts hugely inspirational for me as I became a journalist and, and moved on into this world because things like that happen to us all the time in this line of work where it's a, a horrible situation somebody is dead uh, there's a crisis uh, somebody you absolutely detest is running for office you have to put that aside and spock it out and just treat it completely neutrally um, so I, a lot of that I, I've applied to my career not I had to sit down and watch episodes and say, I'm going to act like Spock today. Um, but just growing up knowing there was a hero figure who was allowed to not be passionate about something was interesting to me. Uh, but also, like, later in life, I realized how much um, Riker's approach to what he did on the bridge colored my working life. Because for, until just a few years ago, I was a career number two man. I was always the the right-hand man to the boss. Um, and that's, it's a tough role to play because you're the go-between, between the boss and the staff. And I failed at it sometimes. I did well at it other times. But a lot of it was very Riker. It's um, back in, when, when Roddenberry created Riker, he originally created him as Decker for the Phase 2 series. Right. And he wanted a guy who played the role of the perfect number two, but really wasn't. And I always related to that. Um, and you know Jonathan Frakes is a ridiculously charming and excellent individual so uh, yeah he rubbed off on me a bit Spock Spock and Riker there you go that's (laughs) the two Star Trek guys who had an influence on me Um, 
less so Shatner. I mean, uh, uh, hold on a second. Uh, some, someone's banging around out here. Um, Shatner's a guy I admire. Uh, Kirk is a guy I love to watch. Never tried to be like them. Um, just not my cup of tea. I'm a little more laid back than either one of those guys. But I will still say to the end, Captain Kirk is my favorite Star Trek character, even the Chris Pine version. Oh, yeah. That's, to me, exactly what a movie or TV hero should be. Well, Star Trek hasn't been in a regular series run in over 10 years. So what do you... Is there anything that you feel like is missing from your life because you don't have Star Trek every week? And what are you hoping for the future? Oh, you know, it's just a TV show, man. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The beauty of it is there is so much of it out there that, uh, like I mentioned, it keeps... I used to have everything on DVD and even some Blu-ray so I could watch it anytime I wanted. I don't have that anymore, but Canadian Netflix just keeps bringing it back so I can dip in anytime I want and watch it when I want to. And it's such a well-structured show, any of them, even Deep Space Nine, that you can go back and watch a three-episode arc by itself and see it in a different way than you did when it came out, or even five years ago. Uh, I just watched The Cage again a couple of days ago, Mm -hmm. uh, simply because the new series will be set during that period, and I wanted to take a look at the, the costuming. And I'd forgotten completely that in the first two minutes of that show, Captain Pike says, oh, I guess I'm just not used to a woman on the bridge. Yeah. You know, that's <laughs> things have changed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's it, there's so much of it. There's always something to see. And so that's I, I didn't miss not having a new show. I'm kind of like checking trekmovie.com every day to see if there's news of a new show. And I've been doing that for a decade. Um I don't think we missed out because we had the J.J. Abrams stuff happening. Uh, there was a plan for a show set in the early days of the Federation back many years ago. I forget. I remember looking forward to that. Didn't come to pass. But uh, I don't know if you follow hockey at all. No, not really. In Alabama. Um, in Canada, hockey teams, you are loyal to your team. And I am a Vancouver Canucks fan. Mm-hmm. One of the few in Ontario. Uh being a Vancouver Canucks fan is much like being a Star Trek fan. Nobody understands why, and you have to be always used to disappointment. And I've uh, tried to take that with me in my life. Well, what do you what What are you hoping that the new uh, that the new series will do? I mean, well, what I do just you hope, hope it's good. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that, I, I'm glad they're doing it this way. I mean, if it had gone to, straight to network, it would have come and gone so fast we wouldn't have seen it. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's nothing to do with quality. There's so many good TV shows that end up on TV. And, you know, I watched a new series this year called Limitless, which is based on a movie that I enjoyed. Oh, yeah. And it was a, it was a fine show. It wasn't great. It was enjoyable. Pop it on and watch it. Canceled. And then I read today that uh, one of the guys from Criminal Minds has just been fired after 11 years in the series. I said, Criminal Minds is like, that. what is that? I've never even heard of this show. And it's been on for 11 seasons. So, obviously, there's no room for a lot of sci-fi on TV, although that's changing with all the superhero stuff. So, I just hope this show, whatever happens to it, is good. Because, you know, they're putting it out on the streaming service where ratings don't technically matter. But if not enough people pay this six ninety nine for CBS All Access, mm-hmm. the show won't be back. So, right. it doesn't matter where else it goes, because I'll be watching it here on regular television. It's going to pop up. We have a sci-fi channel here. And 
I'll just watch it the way I watch regular TV shows. But for you poor Americans, yeah, you got to pay for it. Yeah. And I can't see... That's a tough sell, especially with news now that it will have commercials in it as well, too. Um, I can't see the show going beyond huge fans unless CBS All Access adds way more stuff. Um, yeah, because right now, CBS uh, All Access is pretty much just what's on CBS. They don't have a lot and, of original yeah, programs. And I think they've announced that there's going to be a Good Wife spinoff coming up with Star Trek. And oh, an exclusive online version of Big Brother. Oh, really? No, that, that's not enough. Yeah. You, know, you, you need more. And CBS has so many properties that they could really do something premium with this. Um, I, I, I hope it works. Let's put it that way. There's always the possibility that it's a massive critical success and they move it over to the main network. Yeah. And that would be ideal as well. Well, do you have any uh, projects that you're working on that you want to plug? Um, I'm always working on projects. I um, I create podcast theme songs for free and give them away. So if anybody needs something, let me know. Um, my newspaper is plugging right along. Despite what you may have heard, newspapers are not in a state of absolute decline. The web is doing very well for us. So most of my day is spent actually programming a website, not handling print pages. Uh, other than that, you know, I'm just planning to pop into shows when I can. Uh, Rick from Starbase and I have talked for a while about something new, and we're trying to make that work schedule-wise. And like I said, my entire studio was wiped out in a flood, so uh, <laughs> I have a... Yeah, I saw the pictures you posted on Facebook of that earlier. Yeah, yeah. it's nasty. So I'm starting from scratch with that, but uh, I do miss it. That's why I'm enjoying this today, and I'm looking forward to getting back into uh, some kind of online broadcasting. So we'll see how things go on. Well, I appreciate you being here. Well, this is fun, Sean. This is a, an absolute blast. I could listen to you talk all day, but you just <laughs> listen to me talk all day. So, hey, yeah. <laughs> Kennedy Gordon is a journalist and podcaster. He was one of the co-hosts of Starbase 66, which is no longer in production, but episodes are still available for download at simplysyndicated.com. He creates theme music for podcasts and gives it away for free. You can contact him through Facebook. The Prime Direction is part of the Cosmic Potato Podcast Network. It can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and of course, on our website at CosmicPotato.com. Please be sure to leave us a review wherever you get the show. That will go a long way toward helping other people find the podcast. Every fan has a story. If you would like to come on the show and share with me the story of your Star Trek fandom, then just send me an email at mail at CosmicPotato.com. Please remember that there are a lot of people who want to be on the show and the list is long, but I will write back to you as soon as possible. Thank you for listening to the show. Be sure to look for more episodes as I continue to bring you more stories of Star Trek fans telling about their prime direction. <laughs>